1: Welcome, everybody. This is Rates and Barrels. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Al Melchior. I, of course, am here with Eno Saris and we're going to be talking about some deep sleepers for pitchers uh, on this episode. So uh, there's going to be a lot of good stuff here. And in the process of doing that, we'll talk about Eno's rankings, uh, pitcher rankings, which are on The Athletic, have been up there for a little bit while. A little bit of methodology talk because there's a a new projections uh, system with some different methodology that I think is very cool uh, that we need to talk about. But before we do dip into all of that, uh, just a reminder that uh, the draft kit is up. The fancy baseball draft kit is out there on the athletic, get a subscription for just $2 a month for the athletic that will get you. Of course, that draft kit and everything else, $2 a month for the first year, just go to the athletic.com slash rates and barrels for that awesome deal. So, uh, you know, let's just uh, get right into it here um, and talk about some sleepers. Uh, well, actually, before we talk about the sleepers, let's talk about how you, you pick your sleepers. So, um, you know, I, I feel like maybe this is a dumb question, but, you know, they say there are no such things. So, uh, I'm just going to go ahead and ask. <laughs> uh, I mean, do you, how much do you use your rankings to identify sleepers? Is it just simply a matter of kind of comparing where you've ranked a pitcher versus where they're coming up in ADP? Well, one fun thing you can do, so we got these new uh,
2: projections out, uh, thanks to Jordan Rosenblum, and the the cool thing about them is that they're park-adjusted, and they uh, include aging, Um, and then they use Stuff and Pitching Plus to uh, modify three key areas, maybe four. One is... Uh, Strikeout rate and walk rate, Uh, it had an effect there where uh, we were better able to project strikeout rate and walk rate if we had stuff and location there. That's no big surprise. I think that makes a lot of sense. You're like, oh, he has good stuff. He's putting good locations. Eventually, he'll get a good strikeout rate and good walk rate, right? So that's part of why uh, stuff and location beat uh, strikeout minus walks in small samples, because you're just looking at the very process that they're undergoing. But uh, when we looked at it, stuff and location actually affected the batting average on balls and play proje- projection, which is, I think, uh, kind of um, uh, new and uh, exciting and interesting and prob- possibly salacious, <laughs> uh, depending on what crews you run in. So uh, I don't want to say the Dips is dead. Uh, that's uh, going too far. That's the idea that that pitchers have no command, uh, no control over what happens in the balls in play. But I will say that our model suggests that they do have some uh, control over balls in play. Um, So that was interesting. And then we also projected barrels. Uh, We projected barrels, which barrels allowed, which is something I is not necessarily normally in my bag of tricks. I don't normally look at barrels allowed for pitchers. Uh, because it seems so noisy. But it is important if you allow barrels, you're allowing power, um, and it might be a way to better project home runs. Because what we have found in the past is uh, home runs per nine um, become meaningful or stabilize or give you enough sample in three seasons. It's like two and a half seasons before you know a pitcher's true talent home run per nine. And that is way too long to, to wait in fantasy baseball or in any baseball. So if we can better project barrels, then we can better project home runs and we better have a we have a better sense of what a pitcher's true talent home run ability is. So, yeah, I mean, we have got this this projected sheet with a projected ERA that's park adjusted, age adjusted and all that. Um, And one thing that you can do uh, pretty easily is because we also have uh, projected ERA uh, from different types of models on the sheet, you can just do a simple uh, one minus the other in a category and that'll uh, bring up the pictures that the model likes more and less you know so you could take if you're in the google sheet there's projected era in the main model that's the first line uh and you could take a projected era with babip neutral uh and just 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 do one minus the other and you'd see where our model diverges the most from other models so you could you could throw in a projected era from fan or steamer and do the same way but that's uh, that's an interesting thing that I've done uh, in the past to identify who I like more than the than the, uh, than the than the than the than the group. I mean, sometimes it gets complicated because uh, you know because of innings, and every place you look has a different innings projection for different players, and that's the one place where I did try to put in Jeff Zimmerman's
1: like injury percentiles,
2: but I feel like that's
1: guesswork. Yeah, I mean that's something that you can adjust for on the fly. You can have that that data handy and handy and say, well, you know, I think maybe there's a better chance that this player stays stays healthy or I just, you know, take the gamble that the player stays healthier than mm. than say uh, Jeff would predict. So, you know, th- that's a, a whole you know, a whole issue unto itself is how we manage all this data (laughs) on draft day, but at least it's there. And, you know, for me, this is exciting and it's good news slash slash bad news because the way that I've gone about identifying pitching sleepers, and especially today, we're looking at some of the deeper sleepers, uh, the way that I've gone about that is kind of zigging where the community zags, because as you, you know, said in the uh, outset of your, your description of this methodology, that, uh, there's a lot large swath of our community that you know doesn't look at BABIP or that doesn't look at um, a, a history of barrel rates or something I look. If, looked at a lot the last few years is uh, trends in average exit velocity on flies and liners for pitchers. And there are certain pitchers who do very, very consistently well in that metric and pitchers who do very consistently poorly in that metric. And so on the one, and yeah, it's something that is meaningful for batters. Very
2: right? like, I, like average exit velocity on, on and liners is very meaningful. It's, it's, it's why, it's why barrels work.
1: Exactly. So it's just looking at really one component of that. Obviously it doesn't take the launch angle component into account but that's you know the- well it does by by saying on flyers on flyers and liners it does eh, kind good of, point you know. yeah uh yeah. And, and on some of the, the pictures we're going to talk about we might get a little bit more granular instead of talking about uh, a ground ball profile, talk about a low grounder profile, because that actually makes a difference. But yeah, not to get too too nitpicky about it. Uh, you know, the, the the bigger point for me here is that having a model that incorporates these things that I'm going to call contact management. I know there are people who don't like that term, who actually don't even believe it's necessarily a thing. I don't know where you fall. Exactly. The salacious yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so based on what you said, I'm guessing you're not going to take too much of an issue with me using that uh, that Uh, label of of contact managers. I mean, I
2: was born in dips. Like, that's that's where I started. I started with FIP. I started on Fangraphs. I started with the belief that if I just followed strikeouts and walks, I would do well. And that did serve me well. But there's always kind of like the Michael Pineda types, you know, where you just... And and Ricky Lelasco was another guy where you just had these great strikeout minus walk totals and then huge home run totals. And there's been lots of different ways to explain it. People have have, have tried to approach it in different ways, but um, I think that's either a failure of stuff or location and that by better putting a number on stuff and location, we can better figure out the process and figure out what processes lead to these. You know, you can mess up and give up a homer by locating it middle middle that's a failure of location you can mess up and hang your breaking ball and that could be a failure of location or of shape you know and uh and hanging a breaking ball in particular is rough because if you throw your fastball middle middle at least it goes 90 something you know if you throw your breaking ball middle middle now it's 80 something so, you know, there's, there's all this sort of interaction of stuff and location that could lead to batters
1: hitting you better. Absolutely. And I, I like your Pineda example. I, you know, I also thought of Kyle Hendricks. Uh, he was somebody that I just would be drafting a lot every year up until a couple years ago. Uh, you know, because you're
2: like, wait, when they hit him, they hit right, him hard. <laughs> that's
1: been happening more often than, than not the last couple of seasons, but long stretch for him of, of, you know, being a consistently good. And again, I'm going to use the term contact manager. So, uh, Providing myself with that segue, let's start talking about some possible deep sleepers here uh, in in the contact management group. So in other words, saying that they may fall under the radar of your, your fellow league mates, because maybe they're just mediocre as a strikeout pitcher, but they're going to help you in ERA and whip and wins perhaps because they're just really good at uh, uh, minimizing the damage that batters do when they, they connect off of them. So let's start this discussion with uh, Kyle Bradish and I, You know, some of these categorizations, you know, lumping him as a contact manager maybe doesn't make the, the, the best sense, but I, I will put him here because he was a completely different pitcher when he came back from a shoulder injury in the second half last season, put up a 3.28 ERA. And he did it. I mean, he would fit this model really well, you know, a 5.0% barrel rate over those second half starts and a 253 BABIP rate. Now I'm very suspicious about the, first of all, I should be suspicious about both of these because it's a really small sample, but the barrel mm-hmm. rate, especially he gave up on a uh, batted fly and uh, line drives, 94.1 miles an hour. That is, that's. That's hard contact, <laughs> so I'm not sure he'd be able to sustain that barrel rate. But you know, maybe he'd be somebody who could be helpful in whip because he he can control uh, the damage done on balls in play. Yeah,
2: I think there's uh, some risk if his price inflates that I won't be in as hard. Um, but uh, the model says he has above average stuff, and I think the part the part of the reason why I'm at all nervous about him is I think the four seam fastball is not great. And I think that's when he gets into trouble. I think that's the pitch that allows the barrels. That's the pitch uh, that that gets him in trouble. And early in the season, he was trying to establish with the four seam. And what you can see when you look at his pitching mix is that he really dialed down the four seam usage and started establishing with the slider. And the slider is his best pitch by any metric. Um, he he commands it the best. It's the best stuff. And uh, there is this is the kind of league now where you can establish with the slider instead of the fastball. He now I think uses the four seam more as a whiff pitch high in the zone. If he misses with it, that's the ninety-four mile an hour you know line drive fly ball exit velocity there. Um, but he now has you know. Five pitches uh, that he can mix mix around, and the idea of establishing with the slider, I think, is good too because he doesn't command his sinker that well. He's he kind of went to the sinker more than the four seam, but he doesn't command it as well. So this idea that if I need a strike, I can throw a slider, um, and I can use my four seam and sinker as action pitch- pitches, I think, is a really interesting one. It's a kind of a a newer one. I mean, people call it pitching backwards, but um, it's a to to throw uh you know more sliders or to throw as many sliders as he does or he did late in the season where he's throwing 30 40% sliders that is something new in today's league and uh, I think it'll serve him well the plus uh the ballpark changes uh served him well and um, I think generally there's a lot to like here anybody who has like an elite slider that they can locate I'm already sort of in the tank on them you know I'm mean, like you know that's that That could be like, if you need one thing, people used to think
1: you need a great fastball. You can locate. I think the new league is, do you have a great slider? You can locate? sure. And then that also increases your potential for, for whiffs and strikeouts, which we, we love in, in fantasy. And, uh, I'm going to go to a, a teammate, uh, on the Orioles. And that's Tyler Wells who got off to a really nice start last year. And I don't think he has that same strikeout potential, but, uh, I think that he fits even more in this mold of somebody who could really be uh, a cheap source of low whip uh, because he does get a lot of those high flies, a lot of, a lot of easy pop outs. And uh, so, you know, the strikeouts are probably not going to be there, but another concern too is do you think Wells is going to make a decent number of starts this year? Is there room for him in that rotation? And if he gets that opportunity, do you like his chances to perform well enough to be helpful? Yeah, that's that's
2: the the thing. I mean, the the one kind of soft argument I have, its like soft science argument I have is that they just sort of nurtured Tyler Wells. They nursed him through a season, right? They there was a lot of careful work when it came to his innings. In terms of, you know, early on it was 80 pitches and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't go past 80. You know, it was kind of the Tampa Bay Rays approach where, you know, okay, it's going to be four innings. We don't care. We're going to give you 80 pitches and that's it. Then they pushed him a little bit and then it got closer to 85, a hundred. Um, and you know, he got a few wins and it looked good, but then, ah, shoulders barking and they moved him back off. Um, that fits, I think pretty well with his injury history in the minors. That's why they were able to get him from the twins. Um, and so, uh, You know, I just feel like, do you invest all that energy and time um, and attention to someone and then just say, eh, we got Grayson Rodriguez now, like you're out? So I I kind of think maybe he's at worst uh, a guy who's on the roster in the uh, Keegan Aiken role where he's uh, two to three innings at a time behind Bradish or Kramer or Rodriguez, and that Rodriguez is going to get a similar treatment. Grayson Rodriguez, who this model loves, by the way, spit out a three ERA. You can't put him in your Deep Sleepers episode, but I have to mention that. <laughs> um, but if, what if they treat Grayson Rodriguez like they treated Tyler Wells last year, and it's 80 pitches per start, and it's the Drew Rasmussen, you know, Rays thing where he barely gets any wins, and, uh, and Tyler Wells comes in and steals all his wins like there's still there's still a situation in which tyler wells um you know doesn't start at the beginning of the year but gives you 125 innings 150 innings by the end of the season uh with good numbers and you know yeah he doesn't he didn't strike guys out in his first approach and there's not really the the swinging strike rate to suggest uh very much better i would say a little better than 6.6 k per nine like you know, an 11 percent strike rate suggests better than that. And then uh, he had good strikeout rates in the minors, so I'm wondering if he's just going to improve the breaking balls. Right now, his changeup is his best secondary, and that has a lot to do with why you would have low BABIPs and uh, and low strikeout rates. That's a changeup thing. But he does throw a slider and a curveball. He locates them decently well. If he if those can take any step forward in terms of stuff. This year, then he could be a breakout pitcher. So I think it's a decent floor pitcher that the team is going to need to use that the model likes better. But all that adds up to more deep sleeper than like I need him like is not really viable for a 12 teamer. 15 teamer, I would pick him as a bench pick and watch the early season and be like, "Oh, Kramer's hurt or whatever, you know. Oh, he's in the rotation or oh, I uh, just got to drop him week 1 for something else." So, I I I wouldn't invest too heavily because I think you're right. The 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 team context is is iffy.
1: Well, and I'm going to branch off away here from from draft st- strategy for just a second. And I think we can talk about sleepers in a, you know, in a fab context too. Uh, So Mm. let's say you're drafting on the late side, that Orioles rotation picture is is crystallizing. It seems pretty clear that Wells is going to have that, maybe that vulture role that you were talking about. And uh, if that appears to be the case and you talk about monitoring his pitch mix, at what point, how how much do you need to see from Tyler Wells or any pitcher for that matter before you say, hey, I think this is somebody who's going to have an opportunity for a more prominent role or to be really great in that limited role where, you know, he might, might have some usefulness. Do you, how many do you need to see two starts four starts? There's, there's one complication. So what if he is in the
2: pen and he starts to air it out, right? What's going to happen is all his stuff is going to go up. That's just, we know that v- velo goes up when you're uh, in the pen and velo is a part of stuff, you know, um, the adjustment is uh, about five points of stuff. So if you, uh, if he all of a sudden comes out and has like a 120 stuff plus, uh, you can't be like, wow, he just, he's going to be awesome. He's going to be, you know, he's going to slide right in and be an ace. Uh, you have to, you know, subtract five. Um, and I think that's probably going to be true on on the pitch level too. So if he comes out and is throwing right now, last year, he threw a 98 stuff plus slider. Uh, if he comes out this year and throws a, uh, you know, like a 103 or 102 stuff plus slider out of the pen, you, you may not have seen much yeah you know what i mean it may just be the yeah, same yeah. slider and so and so i would say in that situation um i would just wait and see i would still like him if he if someone got hurt and they slid into the rotation and and, and you're talking about fab then then i'd be i'd still be like someone i'd pounce on but your other question there's sort of more general question about like how quickly can i react to these things i mean uh especially on fastballs and breaking balls uh, the number of pitches to stabilization for stuff plus is on the order of like fifty to sixty. <laughs> oh wow! So not yeah. So uh, for example, I have an example here that's not necessarily a deep sleeper, but a little bit higher in the in the in the pecking order. Joe Ryan. Um, was throwing a slider last year that at the end of the year looked like a below average stuff plus so for the season, right? And that's because you're aggregating all of the sliders over the course of the season. But in, near the end of the season, like in September, he started throwing basically a sweeper, a, a new kind of slider. And if you look at uh, the seasonal, the, the monthly splits, in uh, September, he threw a... Uh, he threw. Let me make sure that's September, that's... Yeah. In September, he threw a slider that had a 106 stuff plus the rest of the season. It was a 93 stuff plus. Okay. So now we're talking about a 13 point difference. That is significant. And we're talking in
1: September. He threw 20, 30, 58. He threw a hundred sliders. Yeah. And, uh, by the way, you remind me to correct myself too, because yeah, that the key unit of measurement here is number of pitches. I'm saying starts. Right. Setting up a a, uh, scenario where, where, uh, well, so it does depend starts. on like how many he throws in each start and stuff yeah. you know
2: but uh but you know uh, in this case for joe ryan uh, i think we knew uh about three starts in that that slider was different three starts into september i mean you're looking at how different the movement numbers are and you're looking and you can see that on brooks so you can see if you look and you see oh the stuff pluses up and you go over to brooks and you're like whoa he just added six inches of horizontal movement like that's That's sort of an aha moment. That's a different pitch. And how many more do you have to see if the stuff model says it's good and there's this huge change in movement? So, um, you know, that and that's tough to do in a uh, really regimented way. And that's something that you can even get beyond the model in terms of finding uh, changes like that quicker. The model is just going to look at, you know, the full season, you know. So that's why it's important to sort of track differences. And if you notice someone's like, you know, changing something, you know, check check the recent, uh, changes in the, in the pitches. And so anyway, um, three starts can be enough. okay. All right. Very
0: good to know. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone. Luckily with 24 seven U S based live customer service from discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime day or night. Yep. You heard that right.
1: high-speed internet service required terms and restrictions apply well let's uh talk about a a pitcher who i think we could include this category of being a contact manager but in a very very different way than than wells or bradish and that is the reds uh graham ashcraft uh ground ball pitcher uh what's your your thoughts on him heading into the season is is he uh worth targeting just a, a little harder than uh you know maybe some others I've been really making sure to get him in my draft and holds.
2: Um, I think I've had two NFPC draft and holds so far and have him in both. Um, And the reason is that he's in the rotation. Um, He should be useful no matter what on the road. Um, And there's going to be a lot of weeks in Pittsburgh and and cold Wrigley and stuff where I, I think he could be a good matchups pitcher just without any advancement. There's an interesting thing that happened in the model where we used to count cutters as breaking balls, and um, he, uh, he didn't look that good in the model. But you watch him, and you're like, man, he throws a 97-mile-an-hour cutter as his primary pitch. Like, like, are we sure this model is capturing this correctly? <laughs> um, when we threw cutters in with fastballs, he took a real big leap. And so now he has a 114 stuff plus cutter now and a 113 stuff plus slider. I think that's a really interesting combo that we don't see a lot of. And so I can't say that I, you know, I put the, rubber stamp of approval and got to rank him 50 or whatever. <laughs> you know, like he's still in the back end of my eighties, back end top 100, especially with that park. When we, when we park adjusted his model numbers, he went from like a, a three, five, you know, true talent guy uh, to someone who had like a four, one ERA. That's a really tough park. It's a, it's a bottom three park for, for pitchers. Uh, but it's also an interesting foundation where what if he did add one more pitch? You know, like what if he added a changeup or what if he added a curve, you know, and went cut or slider curve? Like he seems like he's good at, at shaping the ball that way at breaking balls. What if what if that was the, the ticket forward for him? I have an old article from him where he's talking to Kyle Bodie about uh improving his curveball. So he has a curveball in there that he doesn't throw anymore. So what if what if that comes out? So anyway, uh, I, I, just think that anybody with a 97 mile an hour cutter like that deserves attention. And, uh, and that's basically, you know, sometimes it's as simple as that. Like, you know, oh, I really like this one pitch this guy has, and he's super cheap. I mean, that's good enough for deep sleepers sometimes.
1: All right. Well, uh, let's go to a pitcher that may not at least initially have a rotation spot, but you've got him relatively high in your rankings and that's Hayden Wisniewski. What is it that you like about him? I think this sort of one pitch thing has uh has been really an undercurrent for all yeah. of this, right?
2: We had uh Wells as the changeup, you know, and that's that'll lead to lower strikeouts but managing contact. Uh Bradish was the slider, uh Ashcraft is the is the cutter and Wisnenski is the sweeper. Uh and that's what we were talking about with Ryan is this um it's a seam-shifted wake pitch that uh, moves differently in the pitchers ex- than batters expect. And what that actually does is it looks like a slurve, but it, it stays on one plane. It's slower than a cutter, but um, it's it's got that kind of movement. So it's a sideways breaking ball uh, that's more effective at like 85 and 86 and 87. Um, but it's a sideways breaking ball that doesn't drop as much as the batters expect, and they swing under it because they see slider spin and then uh, doesn't quite get slide or drop. So Woznenski's is pretty good. Uh, he's got a 114 stuff plus on that, and, he's, and he actually commands it well. That can be a difficulty. Mitch Keller added the, uh, the sweeper and had to figure out how to command it. Um, what is also exciting about Wisnenski is that he already comes blessed with an above-average sinker and an above-average cutter. And that's, uh, I think, a combination sinker, cutter, slider that we are actually going to see more of. It actually harkens back to I remember Justin Masterson as a guy that I was like, oh, sinker, slider, like it can work. It can work. I promise it can work. Those are ones that have bad platoon splits. But the cutter has the other way platoon splits and that replaces the change up in our traditional, you know, fastball slider change up uh, approach to to starting pitching. Um, so cutter slider sinker is the new fastball slider changeup. Matt Brash, uh, is trying to put that together. I think we're going to see more and more of this, especially with the sweeper. Cause the sweeper has big platoon splits. So you got the sweeper for one side, the cutter for the other side, and you have to have a good fastball. Um, Westensky has those three things. I think he actually threw his changeup and forcing too much, uh, given their numbers if we see a slight alteration in the pitch mix we could see another step even the way he produced when he was on the field is good and i don't think i don't see anything it's a little bit like Johan Oviedo in um, in Pittsburgh Johan Oviedo and Adrian Sampson in Chicago are are guys that are in the way of more exciting guys um, in Chicago i'm a little bit more sure that they're just going to be like hey we we're going to try and win like Adrian Sampson, thank you very much. You're going to be up when someone's hurt, but we Hayden Wissenski is a little bit more exciting, so we're going to use this guy. In Pittsburgh, maybe they slow walk it, but Pittsburgh has otherwise, this offseason, worked as a team that seems to have a little bit of, um, what is it, uh, uh, they want to get better. They want to win more games. Like you don't sign Carlos Santana and G Man Choi and some of these like smaller deals. You don't bring Cutch back, you know, on these smaller deals unless you're actually trying to win more games. And if I'm in Pittsburgh, uh, Luis Ortiz wins me more games uh, than uh, Johan Alviedo. So uh that's my theory on Nensky is that his talent will will out and uh he will make the post the opening day rotation. All right. Well, we will find out in uh,
1: just a few weeks. Uh it is a bit of a ga- it's a bit of a gamble still, so this is why we're still in the Exactly, exactly and why is ADP is is still low? Uh, and yeah. I'm going to go to one more pitcher here. Wasn't really sure where to categorize Nick Martinez, but I've I've included him in this category uh, because last season with the Padres, a 2.0, or I'm sorry, a .276 Babbitt rate, although that was really more line drive rate driven, which to me, that's very variable. So I don't know that I didn't see anything in the profile that suggested that that's something that Martinez can sustain. I wonder if he fits this uh, pattern, you know, though of, you know, having the one really good pitch. He went uh, to his changeup a lot more last season than when he did back when he was with the Rangers had a good whiff rate with it. So is that part of the appeal for you with Martinez? I'm
2: checking his uh, forcing fastball stuff, plus over the season, Um, because he changed roles. Um, and I want to see if his overall numbers are inflated by that. Yeah. I mean, when he was a starter, his four seam fastball looked, I think maybe below average. It hopped up a little bit, uh, game to game, but there were some games in there with 87 stuff plus and 85 stuff plus on the four seam. So I think as a starter, um, he's a little bit less exciting, um, um, but I think he's kind of an ideal draft-and-hold guy because he does uh, have these uh, four or five pitches. I do think his changeup is his best pitch. Um, but the cutter is decent, and in relief, the four seam is enough. In As a starter, he's got to really mix his pitches. I don't know. I, I think then in certain matchups, he's he's good. I don't want to throw him against the Dodgers, you know, uh, but like in Arizona, in San Francisco, against those teams in uh, San Diego, um, there's going to be matchups i like him in for sure. I, I kind of think he'll be, you know, it'd be an interesting guy is there's a line where this might be a little bit NFBC centric, but I think there's a lot of leagues like this where you've got someone who's a little bit better than um, streaming. Um, and you don't know whether he should drop him for a streamer or just keep him on your roster in the, in the weeks you don't want to start him, you know? Uh, I think Paul Spohr calls him team streamers. I think Nick Martinez is, is likely to be someone like that because I, I don't see something in the profile where I'm like,
1: I want to throw this guy against the Dodgers. Yeah. Well, Again, not something you would probably say about m- many deep sleepers anyway, so that's not, right. not yeah. a knock against him in this uh, in this company for sure. Yeah. All right, well, uh, let's move on to another category of pitchers that could be uh, going later than maybe they they should. Maybe because of the teams that they're on, there were three pitchers in, in each of the Tigers rotation and the A's rotation uh, that were a little bit higher in your rankings than I w- ex- would have expected and higher uh, than you would expect based on their current ADP. So let's start with the Tigers pitchers. Uh, so we've got... Uh, Spencer Turnbull, of course, returning from Tommy John surgery, already hitting, hitting ninety-four miles an hour with his fastball. In spring training, we've got Matthew Boyd returning to the Tigers after a brief uh, relief stint with the Mariners last year, and then Mike Lorenzen coming over from the Angels. So, uh, a trio of pitchers that you seem to like.
2: Yeah, I, the one thing that I start I struggle with here is that Detroit is Detroit is uh, changing the park dimensions. And uh, I'm trying to get right here the uh, the first big change. The center field wall is um, going to four twelve, and they're lowering the right center field wall, Um, and it's it's going to be a little bit more pitcher friendly. The reason I mentioned that is I think that the reason why um, why those pitchers pop in the model a little bit is the park factor.
1: Okay. Oh, okay. Which obviously should change this year. Although it was interesting because I was reading recently about that change in park dimensions and how uh, you know they want to give uh, Riley Green an opportunity to to show off his defensive skills. I mean, I'm mean, i not sure how much that that actually did play into it, but uh, you know you can certainly. I think
2: in. I think the, you no no I think what you what you're seeing is Scott Bush coming from um, yeah I mean they're going to say all sorts of things I mean that like I think they had Matt Boyd being like well if I give up a, a deep fly then it should be a home run or whatever and it's like, <laughs> he doesn't believe that really like, yeah. but anyway uh, Scott Bush came over from San Francisco and I think uh, San Francisco made a lot of the changes too and they said it was for bullpen it was for player safety and the the bullpens you know um, were on the field and and someone actually did get hurt. Um, I think it was Mac Williamson, uh, f- like fell on the bullpen mound and got a concussion against the wall. So there was some aspect of that that was true. However, what the upshot of it was that San Francisco was not quite the extreme hit- pitcher's park that it was in the past. And so... Um, it makes it a little bit more appealing for hitters. It makes it a little bit less of a problem for Mitch Haniger and Michael Conforto to sign these deals to come to San, San Francisco because it's not quite as extreme as it was in the past. I think most teams are doing this where they're trying to make the base the park more uniform and more average so that they can attract any sort of sleeper or, or free agent they want Um If you cut yourself off from any sort of population, then that just doesn't want to sign with you. Like, for example, imagine trying to scour the free agent market for uh, pitchers
1: as a Rockies front office person. Yeah, well, they've not had a ton of success in that regard. Well,
2: but it also means that you're scraping the bottom of the barrel because there is no pitcher that is like... I remember how often Brandon McCarthy would just be talking about something and he would just start talking about how bad Colorado (laughs) is.
1: It's just randomly <laughs> out of the kept, blue just kept coming up yeah so
2: so like uh i i don't think there's any pitcher that really wants to sign in colorado unless they add like five million to the package or they're the only team calling
1: so. yeah yeah no they're not not big buyers yeah. i do
2: think uh i do think you bring up something interesting too with turn ball. you know hitting 94 when he used to sit 94 is not quite ideal because usually you want to hit about two two uh miles per hour over well, but it's but it's yeah. February yes and I did have one pitcher tell me that you know before he attends spring training uh, he was somebody that would hit like 9394 94, uh, would sit 93.94 during the season and before he got to spring training he wanted to sit like 88 so that means at the very beginning you're talking about uh, if he's already uh, hitting 94 that means he's sitting 92 like uh, it's totally plausible that he gets another two ticks over
1: the, the next six yeah years. I took that as an encouraging sign. Uh, so get yeah. yeah, this early. I mean, obviously, if yeah, if we're getting into mid to late March, that's that's a whole different thing. Uh, so, anybody in that rotation, and I mean, you know, I've I've mentioned three that were ranked pretty high uh, relative to ADP, but I mean, is there anybody in that rotation that you don't worry about, even with the the park changes? Um, no, I, it's going to be really interesting to track
2: because none of the the pitchers are rated very highly. Um, and in fact, the model was a little bit pessimistic on you know guys that the, the prospect community liked, like Matt Manning, Casey Mize, um, and uh, Turek Skubel. But Skubal, I think, really changed his pitch mix and improved his lot in life. And so, um, I guess I like him the best, um, uh, or him and him and Turnbull. I guess I like them the best um, coming coming into this season. Um, with the asterisk that, you know, health is a question for both, health and age. Right, right, exactly. Um, and I guess that that same asterisk is true for Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah. You know, he's the kind of guy that just survives on command and multiple pitches. And I think in a pitcher's park, that's fine. In a hitter's park, it's a little bit less fine. I don't know if it'll switch all the way to being a hitter's park. But then he had just such an awfully bizarre season last year with being away from the team and just not, we don't, we don't even really know what happened. I don't know how many innings to give him either. So I guess I would say I'd like Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, Spencer Turnbull and um, uh, Terry Skubel some, but
1: uh, I, they might average 120 innings. All right. Well, let's uh, shift on over to the A's and of course a, a team that I know that you you know, especially well. And uh, I picked up on a a trio of pitchers there too that were ranked higher than I would have expected. And of course, we're all very interested uh, in what you see with uh, Shintaro Fujinami, uh, who has not yet pitched in the majors. Drew Rusinski coming back to the majors after some time in the KBO. And also I want to talk about Paul Blackburn too, because I got a little excited about Blackburn early on last season, a little bit. He wasn't, I won't say he was a good strikeout pitcher, but Blackburn was always somebody who, Really um, had very very low strikeout whiff rates and just relied almost entirely on ground balls and, and he got to a point where he was a decent strikeout pitcher uh, getting more whiffs on at least a couple of his pitches uh, so I mean I guess we could open up to the the whole rotation but especially with those two those three rather being ranked a little bit higher uh, than than one might expect um, who who excites you in this rotation? Uh, Fujinami
2: is someone that's interesting to me. Um, I think uh, Blackburn um, is like the pro. Like I don't know, if he's the prototypical. Uh, but he's in the the family, the Hujin Ryu family of. I have five pitches, and I I do my best when I control all of them and try to surprise you with with each of them. Uh, the cutter is the really the only one that that uh, rates well by stuff plus. So he's always going to be dancing around that cutter a little bit. Um, but he does throw six pitch types, <laughs> uh, according to Savant. And uh, and he had above average command on five of them. Uh, so that is, that is his game. And I'm cool with that uh, at home. And I think the 399 projected, pitching plus projected ERA uh, is... Uh, sort of indicative of that that's like that's probably like a four three four four away and a 3-7 at home so like I'm gonna be trying to uh you know use him at home the most Fujinami I think is a wild card and honestly the ERA projection in there is just a, a traditional model one because we don't have stuff and location on him but um I've been watching him for a long time and he has stuff so I, I My guess is he's like a 108 stuff plus 97 location plus guy, which means he's right on the border where the command will make him a reliever. That's exactly the story that was told in mm. Japan, where he was up and down, sometimes starter, sometimes reliever, um, always uh, some a lot of really bad command years. His most recent last two years, better command. Um, and I think I think there's something about the American approach that might do well for him. So I you know, like for example, if his teams were always asking him to establish with the fastball, uh, and uh use the slider and the splitter for action, right? Um, uh, and he doesn't have great fastball command, he could easily come over here and they'd be like, Man, you command that slider pretty well, just throw that in the counts where you need you need a strike, you know. Use the fastball, which is ninety-nine. Um, And this awesome splitter otherwise. So he's the highest stuff guy in that, in that rotation. The rest of the rotation, other than Waldechuk is mostly um, command guys. Okay. So I I think that's why I'm excited about him. A high stuff guy in in a park like that. I think that's worth and they promised him a, a spot in the rotation. Like his his GM already said, we promised him a spot in the rotation. He's in the top three in the rotation. Everybody else is fighting for four and five.
1: So that's obviously a, a big plus. Do you think that he will have 12-team appeal at some point this season? That's a little bit of a wait-and-see, but the nice thing is
2: that with a model like Stuff Plus, like we'll know fairly early on. Two starts in, we, we're going to know if he does actually have good shape on his fastball and if the, the Stuff Plus is good. And how The Location Plus takes a little bit longer, but you could do some eye scouting, too, where you're just watching the games and seeing how well you think he's commanding the ball. Uh, but he's going to get more chances than that, and uh, he does have the upside. Rusinski, I think, is um, Blackburn and Irvin esque, where he's just going to be someone we want to use at certain times. But he was listed in the top three too. In order to sign Rusinski and Fujinami, the uh, the GM had to promise them spots in the rotation. Okay. Um, so that's part of why I'm higher on them the most. Cause I'm like, dude, they're in the rotation in Oakland. I'm always interested. I mean, they turned Cole Irvin and Paul Blackburn people.
1: I would not have put on any sleeper list into very usable pictures. Yeah, time. no, I know. I wrote at least one thing last year recommending urban as a streamer. Uh, so that's, yeah, definitely not something we would have uh, foreseen a, a few years ago. Uh, so let's uh talk a bit going from a team where you know you mentioned a couple of pitchers that have pretty much guaranteed rotation spots and there's probably not enough depth to really have us worry about them getting pushed out to Marlins rotation. I know some people might actually take issues with the Marlins being categorized here as a lesser team but uh, there's certainly a lot of pitching depth there um, you've got Yuri Perez on the way uh, I noticed that um, on uh, on fangraphs that they do not have Braxton Garrett projected in that starting rotation. And I, I can understand why, but I just thought what he did last year was so impressive. And he really excelled at a couple of indicators that I, I look at a lot, His CSW, uh, which is called in swinging strikes combined almost 31%, 30.8%. That's outstanding. And a, a whiff rate or O swing rate, uh, on, on out of zone pitches, 37.0%. That's also pretty much, uh, an elite figure. So does he somehow work on, uh, work his way into the rotation or do you maybe just have enough doubts about uh, Trevor Rogers uh, holding down the spot? How do you see that playing out for for Garrett?
2: Yeah. Garrett's a little bit uh, in the Blackburn school uh, where he's got five pitches uh, that rate by stuff plus between 85 and 96. <laughs> so uh, nothing that's above average, but five fairly good ones. And it's possible uh, we're missing something on the slider because it's an 84 mile on our slider with two plane Blake that, you know, looks kind of like a baby curve. So I don't I don't know why it's bad in our model. <laughs> Sometimes I get frustrated by that where I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know why. Um, so if, if we're undervaluing his slider, then he does have an out pitch. He has four other pitches he can command, um, and he pitches in a great park. That's part of why I like him. The other part is uh, Jesus Lizardo does not stay healthy. Eduardo Cabrera does not really stay healthy. Trevor Rodgers does not really stay healthy. Uh, and Johnny Cueto is the other right. guy <laughs> you know, like, I'm not saying that Johnny Cueto has been really that rough health wise but uh, he has not only sort of uh, potential collapse by just being old and, and in terms of quality of pitching uh, but you know just as you get older the health risk goes up so I think that's a fairly risky uh, health wise rotation behind Sandy Alcantara um, and I just think Broxton Garrett I, like I could easily see him stepping in before the end of spring training oh uh um, because you know, it's, it's six weeks. Did you, what's the likelihood that those four, one of those four guys gets hurt in six weeks, I think is like 70%.
1: Yeah. And do you think that there's some long-term potential there that he would, given that opportunity, he would pitch well enough to withstand some of the promotions that would likely be coming during the season?
2: Yeah, that's another question. I mean, I do believe in Yuri Perez. Sixto Sanchez uh, has a new body. <laughs> um, and uh, Sixto Sanchez used to throw a 100-mile-an-hour sinker with a devastating change. So um, there's a lot of moving parts there. But, you know, they're always trying to trade pitching for hitting. And they could just keep that train going, yeah. <laughs> really. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that I want Braxton Garrett if he ends up in New
1: York. I will say All that. Right. fair, fair enough. There. All right. Well, I'm just gonna toss out one more pitcher in this category, and it was somebody I thought of late because I had just written about him in Miley's piece uh, for the Athletic on uh, the top ten uh, players that that gained value in the off season, and I think that the move for Ryan Yarbrough from the race to the Royals is something that helps him, even though the Royals say that they may use him in that similar swingman type of role. I just see him as having less depth to contend with and probably a better chance of pitching more innings with the Royals. Also a pretty good ballpark, at least from the perspective of avoiding home runs. And Yarbrough, for me, could have easily included him in the first category as well because he's been one of the best pitchers, actually, in the majors uh, over the span of his career at limiting uh, hard contact on flies and liners. Hasn't always shown up in his, uh, in his final stats, but I kind I like this situation for, for Yarbrough.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, you know, I think that he does have
2: contact management as a skill. Um, it shows up in uh, good curveball um, uh, stuff plus and then good cutter uh, location plus. So he locates his cutter real well, works off that cutter with the curveball, uh, and then manage, you know, a, a changeup and sinker also going to provide you low launch angles um, if you use them right. So that all four of his pitches really are designed to have low launch angles and he doesn't have like 60% ground balls, uh, but he does, I think, limit the barrels. And I believe that is a skill of his. The one thing is uh, it's funny to say this about a guy who throws 80 poo, Um, but uh, I think every mile per hour counts. So I would, I would, I would want to know what he was throwing. And it seems ridiculous to say that about somebody like, is he throwing 88? (laughs) Is he cracking 90? Um, but I think he is so much better if he is averaging 88, 89 than when he's averaging 87. It's just it's something that the research found too, which is that there's a, a band in the middle, and this research was done a long time ago, where it found that you know, between 90 and uh, 93 or so, uh, there wasn't that much difference between gaining a tick or losing a tick in fastball velocity um, because that was kind of the hitting range right? That was where, that's where batters were training to hit between 90 and 93. And that research found that over uh, 94, 94 and over, the fastball started to perform so much better in terms of swing strikes and home runs allowed and stuff. Um, I believe that that's probably <laughs> even higher now uh, as 93 and a half or 93-9 was the average fastball in baseball last year. Uh, so it might take, you know, averaging 96 to kind of start getting those results uh, on the fastball. But that also suggests that maybe the bottom range is higher, so maybe you really want to be above 91 or something to really avoid what happened on the other end where home runs go up and whiffs go down. Um, So he's living on the edge at 87 miles an hour. I do love the park. Um, I wonder if I could make him my final uh, pick or a reserve in AL labor, you know, like a mono-league reserve or a, a final pick in a draft and hold because... He's going to pitch. There's going to be innings. You could manage those innings in that park. You could manage those innings against certain uh, divisional opponents, and uh, I think you would do well for it. Yeah.
1: Yeah, uh, kind of wish for his sake we. St- That's about the deepest cut we could get. Yeah. <laughs> the guy throwing eighty seven. Right. <laughs> but to get back to the schedule too, with you know, for his sake, I, I do wish there was the uh, the unbalanced schedule because that would be a huge upgrade for him uh, getting out of the AL East. But alas, getting a ton
2: of done of
1: Cleveland in uh, in in, uh, in Kansas City, I would like yeah. that. Yeah, well, he's probably going to get that. So let's go to one final category of pitchers, and that is uh, rookie slash prospects. And Andrew Painter, uh, pretty high on, on your list and for obvious reasons. I think the only question is just how much of the season does he pitch in the major leagues. But I, you know, is he somebody that you think would be worth stashing uh in twelve in teamers? I, I think the answer is yes to fifteen team. If you think there's uh some controversy there, um, you know, certainly address that. But what where where could he be stashed, do you think?
2: I think he can be stashed anywhere. I think the amount of lease you have changes a lot. Um, What you're doing is you're stashing him and saying he's going to win that fifth starter role. He's up against Bailey Falter, Mick Abel. I I don't think he's actually up against that much. But he could do poorly in the spring and not get that role. Um, Or they could decide to manage his service time or his innings or whatever it is and send him down. Then that's when the real intrigue happens. (laughs) I think it's, you know, in a 12 team. eh, So I'll just get somebody that made the rotation. I'll just, you know, there's going to be the, you know, the one of the final pitchers on your 12 team squad. You just keep moving, you know, just keep moving. 15 team. Do they send him down and say he's going to be, it's just to manage that first run through the rotation and like he'll be back up soon when the fifth starter roll, you know, like we're just going to skip the fifth starter roll for a little bit. And when we need him, he'll be back up. Um, Then I might try to nurse him on those 15 teamers for just a little bit longer because I mean, I do think he has ace type upside. Everyone talks about how hard his fastball is, how great his breaking ball is. There's some debate about, whether or not his fastball has good plane, good shape, but he's also 6 foot 7 um and releasing from a pretty high release point, so uh you add that with the velo and I think it might perform well even if Stuff Plus doesn't say it's the most amazing pitch, so um, I'm pretty, uh, into painter and, uh, I would definitely take him as uh, a speculative ad, especially if I can do it in the bench rounds.
1: All right. And I just want to come back to Luis Ortiz cause you did talk about him earlier, but just want to give you an opportunity to, um, expand on, on him. If, uh, if there's more to say, because you did talk about the fact that you just, you think the pirates are getting closer to a, will a, 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 Win now is probably not realistic, but more of a, a winning mode than they've been in in a while. What else is there to like about Ortiz? As a yeah,
2: I mean, you, you, it's not like Luis Ortiz doesn't have anything to work on. He came up uh, and was really wowed with a 96-man fastball with unique shape. It's it's uh, almost a little bit Woodruffian where it's um, it has horizontal and vertical movement. Um, and then he's got uh, a power slider that's ridiculous and a really good changeup. I mean, he's a power pitcher with power stuff, but the locations weren't good. And so it's easy enough to say, hey, kid, like let's start the year AAA and work on your locations, and, and we'll put Vince Velazquez and Rich Hill in this rotation to start the year um, and uh, and just have a credible veteran uh, squad at the major league level while, while we wait for you. Um, that's I think probably the most likely outcome um, but uh, just like we were just saying with like the Florida Rich Hill Vince, Vince Lasquez often injured uh, Reunzi Contreras uh, lost like two and a half miles an hour on his fastball uh, over the course of last season uh, so that's a big question mark for me in terms of was that a harbinger of injury like what was going mm-hmm. on there um, and so I think and then I just like Luis Ortiz a lot more than Johan Oviedo. yeah so, so you know, I think Juan Oviedo uh, is, uh, I, like I said, the Adrian Sampson, like, plug-and-play role where you keep him while he has options. I don't see much upside beyond that. And then Luis Ortiz is Ronzy Contreras, Luis Ortiz, and, you know, either Burroughs or Priester, That's our, like, that's when we're going to be really rocking. Yeah. You know, those, those are our, like, those are our studs in the future. Um so I don't know, you're right. It's not quite the same as Chicago. I think the Cubs are have more pressure on them to start winning games. Um they 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 their their front office group I think has more pressure on them to start winning games. They talk about wanting to win games. They they've been making more significant acquisitions. Right, yeah, you don't go out and get Dancy so, Swanson if you're not trying to make a move exactly. exactly. So, they're they're a little bit closer. That's why Winslensky is going to be higher on my list than Ortiz.
1: All right. And uh, Ryan Nelson is somebody that you really like. I think the, the Devin Backs are going to be a, a fun, interesting team this year. Uh, what is it about Nelson that, uh, that you like?
2: Yeah, Nelson is one of the uh, guys that the model likes uh, much more than um, a BABIP and Stuff Plus Neutral model um he's one of the top 40 in terms of the difference between the two models he's still only projected for a 4.08 ppera uh, but i to me it's a little bit of a play against jameson um dre jameson uh has a 4.2 era in the model does not have the same stuff um according to the model and uh, there's going to be a winner or loser there. And I'm staking my flag with Ryan Nelson. He's got a, a good foreseeing with great hop to it. Uh, I think he could use the secondaries more for more whiffs. He did that in the minors. He had more whiffs in the minors. Um, so I think, uh, I think he's just sneaky good.
1: Yeah, well, that's interesting what you said too about um, him not doing as well in the Babbitt neutral model because to me, he could have a very similar statistical profile to Wells, uh, probably with more strikeouts, but... Uh, you know, to me, that's a good thing. So uh, I, I I like that call as well. Fastballs with hop are going to have lower BABIPs because they they create uh, pop-ups. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I like that profile, and it's you know typical of a pitcher that that typically does get uh, get underrated. So anybody else, you know, that I have left off this list that you think people should definitely be tucking away as a, well? As I,
2: I I gotta save uh, I gotta save a little leg uh, for my. Um, my deep sleepers uh, uh, a piece that's coming out tomorrow. Um, but uh, we did talk about a lot of them <laughs> actually. So I'm going <laughs> to, I am going to save the rest of my leg for that. I guess one, one guy that uh, I do like that um, the model just loves the heck out of, but has a bunch of asterisks is DL Hall. Um, and it's interesting because the first time we ran the model, it didn't, it, it didn't love him as much um, but as we've made improvements, he had a 112 projected stuff plus, um, and despite all the talk of how bad his locations were, his projected location plus is 101. Um, so that's uh, that's really not that bad. That could be a, a, a starting pitcher. This does use his reliever stats, though. So 112, you got to take that five off, and it's 107. Um but uh who he's right next to a guy, uh Zach Gallon who has a 107 stuff plus, um, in terms of uh difference between the models. So three three project, projected PPRA, like if he's a, if he's a starter and it's three eight, or if he's a reliever, like Batista's leg is hurt, right? Like what if uh what if he just takes over as closer? So the, like he has elite stuff and so it's like what's the role and how much am I going to pay for, to find out what that role is? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, there's, there's upside in at least a couple of those potential roles. So, uh, you know, sort of like mm-hmm. uh, I was worst cases is just
2: Keegan Aiken again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, we'll, we'll save the rest uh, for your, your column. So people should definitely <laughs> be looking for that. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, uh, if you've got questions for us, of course you can find us on Twitter, Ido you know, is that, at Enosiris, I'm at Al Melchior BB. You could also reach out to us by email, rates and barrels, uh, of course, and spelled out rates and barrels at gmail.com. Uh, or ask in the comment section under uh, this video on YouTube. Uh, Lots of ways to to catch us, and also the comments on our our columns as well. So uh, next up for us uh, is going to be, I know you're very, very excited about this, you know, uh, yes, uh, Lars Newbar you interviewed him. So that's going to be on the Friday show. We'll have a little discussion uh, as well. So hope you tune in for that. So thanks again, everybody, and uh, we will see you again on Friday. Thanks for listening.